I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And you're listening to yet another episode of the No Quarter Show. Are we still doing that? Yeah, I'm afraid so we are. Crazy. Just can't get away from it. Crazy. Hey, it's episode 42. That's crazy. We're 42 years old. This is the... <laughs> I remember being 42. This is the podcast of life, the universe, and everything to do with retro computing. Oh, wait, no. Classic arcade. <laughs> I'm on too many podcasts. What are we talking about in this You're one? Too many podcasts, and you just got back from Kansas Fest. I did. So you just got back from Kansas Fest. Mm, yes. We just got back from Kansas Fest, and man, it was a great time. Oh, it really was. But I guess everyone would know that if they listened to our our previous echoey show. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, I guess a couple of people wrote in to complain about how echoey we were. Uh, couldn't be helped. We were in a dungeon slash chapel in the basement. We were in the dungeon the, chapel <laughs> of the uh, dorm that we were staying in. Concrete, what cinder block walls painted with white paint or something. And, mm-hmm. But we did have one of our listeners on Ultra Magnus, aka Mike Whalen. Mm-hmm. That was a treat. Yeah, we had a great time with him, and I hope that he had a great time. With I had a great us. time hanging out with him the whole week. Actually, he's a he's a good guy. It made me wonder if we shouldn't just violate more of our rules and maybe have some other listeners on now and then. I'm all for violation. So you rode your motorcycle home all the way from Kansas City to Toronto. I did indeed. My Harley went down. My Harley went back. It was awesome. Yeah, my kidneys have finally stopped shaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about um, in those made-up uh, digits, miles that you guys have. So I guess it's about a 1,000 miles or so, um, maybe a little more than that, down and the same back, hopefully the same back. And it's awesome. I, I do love me a two-wheel road trip. So this was my fourth Kansas Fest, the second time I've done it on two wheels. But the first time I went down two wheel and it was on a Vespa and very different experience going down on a Harley. It was awesome. So, Mike, I think we have feedback. We have bunches of feedbacks. But let's start with some some errata. Oh, you want to start with that because it's people writing in to say that I got something wrong. We had more than one person write in to say how wrong I got something. A little comment I threw in. Boy, you listeners, you really just latch on to everything. So let's see. We got uh, two in particular I thought pointed out in a good way. It was all about the Galaga tabletop. When you, me, and other Mike were talking about the uh, Coleco tabletop and handheld games, I said I wasn't sure whether it's a Galaga one. And then I sort of threw out afterwards after doing a really quick uh, uh, internet search saying, oh, yeah, there was a Coleco Galaga. I was wrong. So first was uh, a gal named Karen wrote in, and she wrote in to let me know that I was wrong, wrong, wrong. And she says... Uh, love the show, and normally you guys aren't the big noobs that Atari Age makes you out to be, but <laughs> Carrington, I think you got it wrong about the Galaga handheld. Read that again. Wrong. <laughs> Technically, there was a Galaga handheld game because Namco put out a combination Galaxian Galaga cart for Game Boy, but I don't think that's what you were talking about. Um, there was no Coleco tabletop game. Coleco did make a Galaxian tabletop, but not a Galaga one. I collect them, and I think I have them all. If there was a Galaga, then I'd have it up there on my shelf. See that shelf, the one without the Galaga on it? That is the shelf of tabletop knowledge, and it says that everything you've ever said is wrong. (laughs) Just kidding. Love the show, Karen. Nice email. Thank you. No, there's no reason to kid around about that. He's wrong. (laughs) The shelf of all tabletop knowledge has, has put me in my place, so that was good. It turns out she's right. So I, I looked online thinking, when I was sitting there, I remember distinctly Googling it and finding a commercial for, remember there was those commercials for the, the Coleco had the tabletop, or so yeah, the little tabletop handheld games, and there was Mr. Arcade, and they'd say, Mr. Arcade, could ya? And he'd say, Frogger, sure, and then he'd zap it with his magic fingers and shrink down your I remember that, yes. Well, I guess a guy did a spoof of those, because he's Um, made his own Galaga tabletop and he did a spoof of that commercial where he plays the kid and also plays mr arcade and i think that's what i spotted but i had my sound off and i don't know i don't know why i thought it was real it doesn't look remotely real now so i see you were you were conned. i was conned and so uh we got another email very similar siegfried 
He wrote in to say, a Galaga tabletop by Coleco? No, sir, I do not think so. You have been fooled by the internet. Ah, see, he said the same thing as you. Fooled by the internet. There were four officially licensed handheld or tabletop Galaga games, but not a Coleco game. Namco made a Galaga 91 handheld LCD game, similar to the old Game & Watch games. They also made a similar Galaga 2000 handheld LCD game, most similar to the Coleco games was a, a game called Galaga X6, which was made by Epoch. It has a shape and looks... It has a shape? <laughs> yes, thank you, Siegfried. It has a shape. It has a shape and looks the most like the Coleco tabletop games. This game uses VFD technology, the same as your Tron tabletop game you showed on RCR, which I do still have my Tron, so well-spotted, Siegfried. Uh, anyway, he goes on to say, the fourth one was a game called Galaxy 2, which is also a tabletop game by Epoch using VFD technology. This was also branded as Astro Wars by a company called Grandstand. This isn't a true Galaga game. It is more like a game halfway between Galaxian and Galaga. This one is one of the latest VFD games, so it's one of the best in terms of gameplay. There are four levels, and the gameplay is very good. So anyway, this last bit I thought was really excellent. So he writes some... If you are interested in handheld and tabletop games, I suggest a book called Electronic Plastic. It is out of print, but you can often find it on eBay and abebooks.com. I like abebooks.com a lot, actually. It has hundreds of different games with great photos and descriptions. I enjoy your show very much and look forward to each episode. Sincerely, Sigrid. So well done, him. So great info about those. And uh, it seems that both uh, he and Karen are all right that I got it wrong. But because he suggested that Electronic Plastic book, I went online and Googled it. And it looks fantastic. So it was a, a guy named Mar I guess it's pronounced Martin, Martin Koch, M-A-R-T-I-J-N, but it's Martin, I assume. And he wrote this book, Electronic Plastic, and he is I'll have a link in the show notes to the site, but if you just go to handheldEN.com, sort of like handheld and then the first two letters of English.com, that's his site. And it's really fantastic. I, I, it's, a, it's a crazy online museum of handheld games with tons and tons of info. Basically, that entire book has now been put online. And he has a new book coming out called Two Kilobytes of Fun, 2KB of Fun, that you can pre-order now. And ETA is December 2013. Also looks amazing. And the key on the site is to make sure you go and click on the information link up in the top right corner to see tons and tons more. Basically, see every handheld game made by everybody with lots of details and just a fantastic site. So I'm really pleased about that. I imagine that uh, one could do a an entire podcast series just on handheld games and that sort of thing. I am announcing my new podcast <laughs> called No Handhelds, <laughs> where I will talk about handhelds. The, the title is a lie. So it's a fantastic site. So uh, handheldEN.com and his new book looks looks great. So thank you so much, Siegfried, for sort of sending me down that rabbit hole of, of information. And then um, I got one more email I thought was worth bringing up. A fellow named Not Stanley. So it kind of narrows it down to someone in the world other than Stanley. So Not Stanley wrote in to Just say... a few people. <laughs> exactly. He's narrowed it down about $6 billion. I liked the last show. It was fun hearing you and Mike in the same room. And when you trash talk each other playing the game, I can't believe you won a Galaga after all his big talk. <laughs> That's what you can see why I'm bringing this one up, Mike. <laughs> he's, oh boy, probably right that, <laughs> he's probably right that you cheated, but if you got away with it, then I say it was fair. <laughs> the audio was a bit hard to hear because it was so echoey and Mike is soft-spoken, but it was also nice having another person on the show and funny that his audio was the clearest of all of you. Maybe you should take pointers from him or just let him take over the show. LOL. Anyways, I usually can guess what your next game is going to be, but this time I have no idea. But it sounds like something spacey. Am I right? Is it a game called Something Spacey? Do I win a prize? <laughs> Anyways, keep up the good work. No Quarter is one of my top five favorite podcasts, but as Mike knows, there can be a lot of things in a top five. <laughs> Very good email. <laughs> so those are my three favorites. Uh, we do have one other thing that we need to correct here. That was the URL for Dr. Kong, the movie, uh, in our show notes. When I looked online right now, it looks correct. Hmm. <laughs> C64 Takeaway sent us a tweet that said that we had the, um, the URL wrong for Dr. Kong, the movie. Is he lying, Carrington? No, he, well, when he sent the tweet, he was correct. <laughs> but at this moment, uh, it strangely I seems see. to have been immediately uh, fixed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so well spotted. Thank you very much. 
Okay, so we have a whole lot of Facebook feedback and Twitter stuff, and I don't know how much we're going to get to. We're going to get to all of it. Before I just get bored and give up on this and move (laughs) on. Chris Hafner is writing us a novel, apparently. He's the guy that wrote us that uh, two-parter email. Oh, uh, I keep meaning to put that online, too. Yeah, and he's written another five paragraphs. Um, These are actually interesting, though, unlike last time, Chris. (laughs) I'd be nice. Play nice with our listeners. He's he's titled it to the continuing arcade adventures of Mikey Eyelashes and John Stones. I love it, because there's no (laughs) Carrington in that. What? I'm John Stones. Johnny Stones. Oh, oh, I thought that was him. No, well, never mind then. I said it was a great episode, though. I guess I can't listen anymore now that Mike has banned me. Oh, that's right. No more, no more bans. I'm done banning people. There's a ban on, on people banning people. There's so. a ban on banning? Yes. No oh, more bans. Okay. The joke is old and tired and I'm sick of it and I will ban you if you mention it. <laughs> but wait, what? It's hard for me to get my head around your earth logic. <laughs> well, it's just American logic. American. Chris says, you mentioned Musee Mechanique. Uh, my daughter and I were there a few weeks ago and oh, had a great cool. time. I want to go really badly. He says there are some arcade and pinball games there. Star Wars, Pole Position, San Francisco Rush. But as you mentioned, the majority of the arcade attractions are mechanical, and they're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Player pianos, fortune-telling machines, mechanical puppets that act out scenes, an arm-wrestling machine, mechanized baseball, football games, and a lot more. And he actually posted a bunch of pictures of, of his daughter enjoying some of these games. I thought that was very cool. You can check them out there on our Facebook page. Nice. On another topic, you mentioned a while back that MAME doesn't do justice to vector games, and I totally agree. Have you guys seen or heard of the unimaginatively named Another Arcade Emulator, AAE? It hasn't been worked on for a while, but it's vector graphics are as bold and beautiful as the real thing. All those Ooh. games that look weak in MAME look totally great and totally vibrant in AAE. So we will check that out. Well, that is a good tip. I, I was not aware. I mean, I, I yeah. was rough, like vaguely aware of AAE, but I just thought it was like an old MAME competitor that was just not any good. And so no one used it, like, to be honest. <laughs> I, I never actually used it myself, so I just guess I brought my own baggage to it. But that's quite exciting. I would absolutely hap- happily use a, like a dedicated emulator, even if it was just for the vector games. I mean, for a lot of, a lot of MAME setups, if you're doing like the whole mess thing, often you have, say, hyperspin as your front end and you'll load lots of different emulators to do uh, Atari things or, or, you know, C64 or Coleco or what have you. So it's no big deal to also just have another emulator. That's exciting. And finally, he mentions, have you heard of GCE, the GCE Vectrex, Carrington? Uh, I know the Vectrex, yeah. It came out in 1982 and has a similar form factor to an early compact Mac. Contains vertical vector monitor, meaning that it brought glorious vector graphics into the home. Compounding that coolness is the fact that there was... And is a big homebrew development scene around the Vectrex, and even and even cooler is the fact that a great emulator exists called Para VJ. I'm sorry, Para JVE that legally includes in the download all of the official games plus a lot more of the best homebrew games. Oh, nice! I didn't know that. I know there's the um, iPhone, like the iOS version of Vectrex. No fussing around with ROMs or worrying, or not, in Carrington's case, about copyright issues. It's all there. It's all I, legal. He's right. And- I don't worry about that. <laughs> Since it's vector and vertical, it has some high-quality arcade ports of Pole Position, Berserk, the homebrew Gravitrex is a great Gravitar knockoff. I thought it might be of interest to you and other classic arcade fans. It totally is. I knew about the Vectrex, and I've played with one before. And it's one of those machines that if I had a ton of space, I would absolutely have one because I like I dig old things, but I have to limit mm-hmm. what I what I can what I can keep. I've got the iOS Vectrex app. And I bought all the games for that so I can play them. And it's actually really good. It's a good implementation. I like it. I did not know there was a, a homebrew scene around the Vectrex. So that's quite exciting. Indeed. Now, this is a console. Is that right? Yes. Well, yeah. It's uh, Think of it as like a, a standalone console game, but with its own monitor. Because it's Vector, right? So it's sort of a Atari 2600 competitor in a sense, in a weird sort of way, and that you're just, it's a game playing thing, except it has its own little built in monitor. If I remember, it, it uses a 68A09 as the CPU. It's a odd choice. But it's a console, so we don't care. Stop talking about it. <laughs> uh, we do care because it's, <laughs> it's, I love vector stuff. I love vector stuff. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Chris went on to post, as I said, some pictures of his visit to the Musee Mechanique, and they are uh, astoundingly creepy in some cases. I know, but I like that. I love creepy old mechanical games. It looks like one of these things, you put the, a quarter in it, the baby cries, and the parent looks woeful. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> well, that was worth a quarter. Expectations for your gaming quarter have definitely changed. I would agree with you. 
Yeah, and then he's got some some photos of his daughter enjoying some of these other things. Looks really great. Looks like a great time. Yeah, it looks like a great place. If I if I'm out there, I'm definitely. In fact, I've I've added it to my my map on my phone as a bookmark. So if I'm ever out there and forget about it, and I just search for a thing, I'm like, why is there a pin on the map? It'll remind me that I want to go to this place. <laughs> we mentioned uh, Classy Blassy mm-hmm. previously for his pictures of the California Extreme Convention. And he said that he would be posting videos. He has now done that. There are a bunch of YouTube links. Oh, good. I'll make sure we put those in the show notes. You can watch. It looks like he's got Bill Carlton hitting over 300,000 on Centipede. Ooh, nice. I want to see that. The Space War keynote, the screening of Space Invaders, the, the one, the documentary that we've been talking about mm-hmm. lately and something called the video craze. It's got a Kickstarter page. Very so good. Thank you, out. Mr. Blassie. How very classy of you. We talk more about this, except we got a bunch more still to go. Victor Marland has sent in, ooh, this looks like fun, the 80s Arcade Screenshot Challenge. Oh. You get 50 screenshots, and you have to identify what the game is based on the piece of screen or, I guess, arcade art that it shows you. Oh, the, the, who was doing that with us? I think that was Mike Whalen. I think it, was it was Mike. Him. You're right. It was Mike. You're showing us things on his phone. What Name this game. Name this game. Like, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that this was like a, a game thing. I just thought he'd like pulled up some shots. Sure. And I think he thought, did. So. I thought he was just messing with us. I think he was messing with oh, us, okay. and I think he did mess with <laughs> us, and he was successful in that messing. So there's 50 of these screenshots, and you have to identify as many as you can if you choose to play this. I do choose to play that. Victor got 48 out of 50. I have not taken the challenge because I don't want to embarrass myself. Chris Maravich, who's written in a couple of times, has responded to our call asking about whether we should cut the news and everything and make it its own podcast. And we only got one response before. He adds to that, keep the show the way it is. I like the news and everything as it is. I think you guys are doing great. Well, Chris, you haven't been listening. (laughs) And finally, Ken Gagney, our, our good friend. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, right, well yeah. guy we know. <laughs> the person we know has sent in a Vimeo of the Oculus Rift, which has been connected to a Connect and something called Kick R. I'm, I am particularly excited about the, the whole Oculus VR stuff. Okay. So what this is, is Paper Dude VR, which is Built in Unity with 3D assets created in 3D Studio and textured in Photoshop. It looks like you basically get to experience playing a VR version of Paperboy. You sit on this little bicycle sort of machine and... I want to go down an actual street wearing one of these these Oculus Rift things. The Oculus Rift VR headset lets you look around. You're seen in a full 360 degrees and allows you to focus your newspaper aim. The Connect controller tracks the positions of your arms and hands and detects paper-throwing gestures. That's awesome. Cool. I want it. I want to go to there. Oculus Rift. Oculus means like eyes, and Rift is because it's going to rip your head open. Is that what that means? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what that means. Well, thank you, Karen. Uh, I want to do it anyway. Over to Twitter, because all Twitter. I want to do is, yes, read. I've heard of that. Read feedback from. More people saying that I got that Coleco thing wrong? No, I don't think so. Oh, good. Thank you, Twitter. Thank you for being nice to me. So last week when we were, was that last week? Two, that was two weeks ago. Holy crap, that goes quick. Two weeks ago, when we were in Kansas City, we took a little side trip out to the Alamo Draft House, downtown Kansas City. So much and fun. Arcade. And we had a great time. Oh, I yes. loved it. I am with you on that. That was fantastic. Yeah, they had some, some really great games there. They had the really rare Tapper cabinets. They had, they did have Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Dragon's Lair was not working. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even try those. Yeah, it was on, but all you saw was the flickering screen. And Space Ace was on and working, but there was no sound, which just didn't seem like much fun. The great thing about this arcade is that it's a, a $5 and then play all you want, which is nice because if you're into to Laserdisc games and p- playing 50 cents a game and dying immediately, that can get expensive very quickly. It was really fun. It was unfortunate that the, not Donkey Kong, well, they had a machine there that was totally not working. Uh, Dig Dug. The Dig Dug machine was unplayably busted. And yet people kept playing it. And I was saying they're doing better. And I'm like, how are you doing that? You can't press down. You can't play this game if you can't go down. Uh, super fun though. And I got to play a whole bunch of Journey, which I haven't played in forever. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. In fact, Mike Whalen and I were playing Journey. Super, super fun. Just, uh, just, you know, five bucks and right before, you know, a really nice cinema that serves you at your seat and has an arcade. Like, there's nothing not to like about this place. True. Yep. If you live in the area, I definitely suggest going down for a visit. 
Vintage Volts, who um, has been listening to us for quite some time now, wrote in to say, I hope you played next week's game on a real cabinet because Ugh. it's very difficult to play without a spinner. Well, then he clearly knows what the game is because he is right. It has been very difficult to play this game. And we had a few people guess this game, and and, and the responses were similar about playing it on, on a home arcade setup and asking how we did that. I figured out a decent way to play, which I will let you guys know what I did. Uh, my score still sucks, but I got a lot better once I realized what I should do control-wise. I do have a couple of tweets here that I should address first. Mike is now saying, Mike is saying Zed now? What? <laughs> Standing near Carrington causes Mike to absorb his Super Zed powers, a la heroes? Super Zed powers. To which I responded, why? Yes, it does. But only if he's Canadian. <laughs> I, I can only absorb Canadian powers. Yes, they're so absorbent. I can absorb things like hoser and a boot, and I can handle higher, <laughs> higher alcohol Take content. Take off, beer. eh? Um, and, and I can sit and just watch, uh, watch the Great White North and, and, uh, Strange Brew over and over again. But coincidentally, so can I. Uh, here's a weird one that we got from Dr. Stephen Weirich, Weirich, whatever is, I don't, sorry, Steve, I don't know how to pronounce your last name still. It drives Dr. Me crazy, Steve. Dr. Steve, who we know actually more from the Apple II side of things. He runs, uh, appletohistory.org. Great guy. Oh, uh, yeah. Very knowledgeable. Crazy knowledgeable. Check out the big brain on Dr. Steve. The stuff he knows about the Apple II is crazy. Well, in fact, after his presentation at Kansas Fest, Waz went up to him to talk to him for a while. He says, simply, Babylon, my friends, Babylon. I don't know what that means, but yeah. thank you. We, we, and we will. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, I forgot about this. We do need to talk about this one. Daniel McLaughlin, aka Iron Farmer. Mm hmm. Writes in that's writes in says apparently you can play multi you can multiplay arcade ROMs over the internet. You sent me the link about this as well, Dad, Mike. This is g ggpo.net is the name of the website, and apparently it's the name of the product as well. The Windows only product. Oh no, that's okay. I I, I dual boot, but it disappointed me. I went. I rushed over in my all my macness. So I I loaded this up, and it looks like this is more geared towards fighting games, emulating fighting games online. Oh. It does recognize a bunch of Mabroms, and I got my ass kicked by by some people I didn't know. So I think in the future when you and I do play a game that it supports, we should check it out. Totally. It, it, only, it, it only supports like a 1,050 or something different sets right now. But it's, well, the next 1,000 shows will all be fighting games. <laughs> But it's in beta, and if you're into that thing, I would definitely, if you're into multiplaying and kicking your friends' butts, I would definitely check that out. And I will make sure we have a link to that in the show notes as well. So lots of stuff in the show notes this week. Vic Sage wrote in to ask us if we had ever heard of Atari's Quantum from 1982. I've heard the name, but I have not played the game, so we'll add that to the list. But actually, I think that's up there on the list because a bunch of other people have requested that one as well. Right, which is a vector game, if I remember. I do like me a vector game. Dr. Quest adds that he hopes Golden Axe 2 is on the shortlist. It is now. Oh, I, I would assume it already was. Both Golden Axe and Golden Axe 2. And finally, our good friend, good, good friend Frack wrote in to say that... <laughs> he is a good friend. This game, this week's game is really making me mad. And that's because we played Mad Planets. Well spotted Flack. Mm, and a bunch of other people too. But we have to give credit to Flack because he's a ninja. And he might be in the room right now. So... Rob, are you in the room with me? You can't tell. He's got a ninja suit. <laughs> so it is indeed. It's Mad Planets, where, which I think is the first. Is this the first Gottlieb game that we're yes, talking about? It is. The pinball company that made video games. <laughs> well, that's how Williams got started. That's how I think too. of them, though. I think of them as a pinball company that put out a couple of video games and got one big hit, which was Qbert and a whole oh, bunch of them. misses. Okay. Yeah. So Gottlieb is it's Qbert and... Nothing else is coming to mind. I'm sure people will write in and tell me how I'm wrong. But uh, to me, there are the pinball people who made Qbert and made Mad Planets, which turns out is totally super crazy awesome good. The official description of Mad Planets given over at Arcade Museum is destroy planets before they form floating in space, pick up stranded floating spacemen, and avoid and destroy comics. It is the comics. weirdest premise. So these planets are angry, and the actual planets are attacking you, and you have to destroy them. They are mad planets. Very, very strange. Yeah, I, <laughs> totally. I, I don't get this. And <laughs> I, I guess I have to pause here for just a minute and say that as I was playing this game, it felt a whole lot like Bubbles, which is oh, where no. you sort of bounce around this free play 
area. Are we kicking around as bubbles it, again? As it appears on the screen. Oh, yes. No. <laughs> as it appears on the screen. And I found myself thinking, man, I thought the little cleaning ladies in the drain were weird, but this is, this is out there. And I don't know why, but I enjoyed this game a whole lot and still hate bubbles. Send your hate mail to but the, Mike. The, yeah, please do. The, the gameplay felt a whole lot like that. It's sort of, you have this open play field. And, and when I first started this game, I was not aware that it required a spinner and a flight stick to play. So <laughs> me too. You, I'm just moving around and shooting yeah, straight north. You're, you're kind of, you're down at the bottom of the screen, sort of like Galaga or something like that. And you can move back and forth. And <laughs> That's so funny. I did the forming, same thing. <laughs> and they're moving like, they're moving behind me, and, and I'm thinking, well, I get, I'm not sure how I'm going to get those. I'll just wait for them to move out in front of me again, and they would destroy me. <laughs> Turns out you can turn and shoot them, but only if you have a, a spinner. Exactly. This is a tough game to play in MAME because you need a flight stick and a spinner. So basically, this needs a Discs of Tron setup. Discs of Tron. Why don't we just talk about that in every single episode? The player takes control of a spaceship and must attempt to destroy a series of Earth-like planets which emerge from the center of the screen and rapidly move towards the player ship. Increasing in size as they do so, destroying all of the planets in round before they reach their full scale will see the player awarded with bonus points. Fully grown planets are orbited by a number of smaller moons, which, if destroyed, can cause the planet to go mad, <laughs> turning red and making a beeline for the player ship. The game also includes bonus rounds in which stranded astronauts can be rescued for additional points. I wasn't sure. Do I shoot the asteroids? Do I, do I like, what do you shoot and what don't you shoot? But it turns out, yes, you, you run into the, the, the astronauts to pick them up, but you basically shoot everything else, the comets, the planets, the moons, everything but the ast astronauts you should just shoot. I had to go and read about this game to figure out what was going on. It was mm -hmm. so strange and out there, and I don't recall there being a lot of rules in the attract mode. And it's I not even really complicated. It's just so strange you don't necessarily pick it up right away. And this is, I guess, is what you get when you when you let a, a pinball company make <laughs> arcade games. They did go. I mean, yeah, I guess they made Qbert also. Like, they, they really went out there with their games a bit. But it does have an interesting scoring system. Uh, you have different types of planets and different points that you get depending on when you destroy them. So it starts out with approaching planets. These appear far in another galaxy and rapidly approach the player's ship. They do not have moons approaching them, and you get 100 points for destroying each one of them. You have the attacking planet. This has three to six moons around it. Yeah, like that's when it gets close enough, and it'll, it'll become big, and then it spawns moons. And then it starts hunting you. It tries to destroy the player's ship by colliding with the ship or releasing the moons into space. An attacking planet cannot be destroyed until all the orbiting moons have been destroyed. Which... That took me a while to figure out. I'm shooting these stinking things. I'm like, why can't I kill it? But until you kill all its moons, it's basically invulnerable. So you got to kill all the moons. Then you can kill the big planet. But as soon as you kill all the moons, it gets really upset at you for doing that. <laughs> it starts moving really quick. Yes, and you get points for destroying the orbiting moons. I think you get 10 points for each of those. Mm -hmm. I know there's at least something you get one point for, because my scores would frequently end in like one or seven. Or I'm like, what is with these scores? I think you get the one point when you shoot the attacking planet when it still has the moons around it. Oh, so like you, for shooting the invulnerable planets. Got right. it. Okay. You do get a point for that, which doesn't add up very quickly in this game because, <laughs> no. well, that's the thing. You're, you're, to me, as I'm playing this, my ship kind of felt a little bit large for the play field and it gets, it gets it filled up in, in a hurry. Well, your ship is to scale is basically as large as a planet. Right. You run out of room immediately. Yeah. Uh, so the, yeah, everything about this game is kind of weird, but and frantic I, and. Yeah. yeah, it gets moving quick when you start doing these things and there's a bunch of planets moving and the moon's flying and then comets will come in and be spinning around and, and an astronaut just floating by. <laughs> like, yeah. So you also have the, the mad moon, which is any moon that leaves its orbit and is free floating in space. These are orange and you must destroy them. Yes. Obviously, you get 100 points for each of those. The mad planet, commencing with the destruction of all the orbiting moons, an attacking planet transposes into a mad planet. And you get a bonus if you... Don't you get a bonus... Everyone's what I would have it would tell me I did something perfect. If you like kill all the planets when they're approaching, so when they're still small right. before they get any moons, you get them all, which you can only really do on the early levels. It gets so fast later. Then you get a big bonus for having wiped them all out. So that was yes, that's nice. that's called the perfect round. And you got yourself a perfect round. It sounds like I did a few times. The Mad Planet gives different scores depending on the size it is when you destroy it. For Mad Plutona, it's 200 points. Then it becomes Mad Marzon, 300 points. And finally, Mad Cryptofan, which is 500 <laughs> points. And I'm just okay. reading this, all of this because I love saying these words. I didn't know, I did notice I would get different points, but I didn't realize it was based on size. It's such a frantic game. It's hard to keep track of what you're getting points for. And basically, I'm just trying to run and shoot and like, 
and the music's great and uh, yeah good oh, game. it's it's wonderful yeah and as you said those comets that show up you got to destroy them you get different points for those depending on on when you destroy them mm-hmm. and when they appear you get 100 you get points for picking up floating astronauts in space because astronauts in space i guess <laughs> just float around and they also are not to scale they're like the size of a moon right and then you have the, the bonus periods, which is where I think you uh, you just run around and pick up as many of these. Uh, these astronauts, because then there'll be just these comets, and you have to like deal with the comets and just try to pick up a bunch of astronauts. And it seems like once you let too many comets go, is when the thing ends. I really wasn't even sure what was bringing the the bonus rounds to an end. They would just sort of stop. I'm like, well, I guess the bonus round's over. <laughs> I definitely haven't mastered the rules of this game yet, and yet it's not that complicated. At least it doesn't feel that complicated when you're playing it. Uh, obviously not as simple as something like Galaga to understand what's going on. And for whatever reason, this was crazy fun. I really, really like this game. Yeah. It's just, it's all about the little details in the execution. Like I thought the music was terrific. I really, this, it, it's this sort of pulsing, really get you going, nice bassy sound. And I really, really liked that. I also liked how it, it's just on a black background, but it's also a very colorful game and it only has a 16 color palette, but I thought they really used those 16 colors excellently. Like I, it's just, it's nice and vibrant and colorful and, and there's a lot sometimes flying around in the screen and at no point would I lose track of, well, where's my guy in relation to everything else? So the colors are used quite well. It's just, it's a really polished, really well executed game, if kind of strange. Well, speaking of palette colors and other technical specs, we should probably go through that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mad Planets uses, and I think this is the first game that we've come across that uses an Intel chip for its CPU. It used the 8086 at 5 megahertz. Oh, that's a speed. No wonder it's so fast, because there's a lot moving on screen at once, so it would need a pretty decent CPU. And it had the Moz 6502 for the sound chip at oh. 894 kilohertz. So that's an odd. So it, they chose the 6502 as the sound chip. And kind of slow, too, which is sort of surprising. Yeah. Because it really sounds great. It does have a DAC. Maybe that has something to do with oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Vertical orientation on the screen, 240 by 256 pixels, and as you mentioned, a 16-color palette. Carrington? Mike? Tell me about the cabinet. <laughs> the cabinet is, as they say on eBay, rare, 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 exclamation point, exclamation point, one, <laughs> exclamation point. Like, so they wow. made 1,400 or 1,500 of these things, but it seems they didn't sell very well. It wasn't one of Gottlieb's big sellers. So I think a lot got converted or destroyed or ripped apart for parts. It's hard to come across them in working shape because it's got that uh, – you need to get that flight stick with the trigger on it. So you can use like a, a Mach 3 stick or you could use something, I guess, out of out of Tron or something like that. So you can cobble together pieces, but it's hard to get an original one of these things. They, they seem to sell for quite a bit. There's just the one style. So there's just a standard size upright, no cocktail, no cabaret, nothing. So it's just the one thing. And it's the same shape as the Qbert. So the same side cutouts. I think in fact, I think all Gottlieb cabs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the same, but all Gottlieb cabs use the exact same shape. I look forward to your email next week, listeners, <laughs> telling me about how I'm wrong. But thinking about it right now, without Googling it, I can't think of any that don't. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of that limb. In the same way that this is a great looking game, really polished and does a lot with its colors, same thing with the cabinet. It's a black cabinet and the sides have these bright red and blue um, basically just arrow shapes, but they really stand out. So it's a, it's an effective eye catchy side art. if very, very simple. And it's a good logo in the marquee. It's got the mad planets name, but the planets on the top. So it sort of crushes down the words. So there's an arc, but they arc downward. So it, it gives it a nice shape. Uh, talked about the control panel has the flight stick and a spinner. So it's got the combination that was confusing me at the beginning, not realizing <laughs> that that's what I needed. So my game became a lot better when I realized I had to emanate those. So like I said, about 1500 of these were made. Uh, so it's a pretty rare cab, at least to find in decent condition. I couldn't find any sense or any listing that would give me a guideline for what you should expect to pay for these. So this is the first cabinet where I honestly have no idea. I've seen them sell online, a few of them, for well over $1,000. But I've seen a couple go for like 400 But I think it was because somebody didn't know what they have, or maybe it's because of a condition. So I honestly have no idea what a bargain price would be for, for one of these cabinets. But I think it's because almost all the ones that I saw that sold would be missing things. Like it would be a Mad Planets and they would say it uh, doesn't have the monitor and it doesn't have a flight stick. I'm like, well, not a lot there. So 
usually these things are just busted and are, are using gorf parts or something. However, if you are looking to fix or repair or even build one of these, I because I was searching for info on this, and it's a hard as an aside, it's a hard game to find info about. There's no Wikipedia article for this game. There's like very little info on the internet for this game. So I had to really go to the deep, deep corners of the internet to find <laughs> stuff. But there's a, and they say called gamestencils.com and you can get the side art stencils. This was stenciled side art rather than vinyl things. So if you're, if you're fixing a cabinet or you're making a new one, you can get the stencils from them. Um, and they also have a control panel overlay reproduction, but it's like $70 and quarterarcade.com has um just as nice a looking control panel reproduction thing and i think it's 60 or 65 so probably a better place to, I'll, I'll put links to both of those in the show notes just so if somebody stumbles across this later and are looking to cobble one together it's there are sources out there to, to let you fix these things up the spinner seems to be easy to find the hard part is to find the actual gottlieb flight stick it's hard to track down man it seems to be a piece that breaks a lot and there's not a lot of replacements because it it sold so poorly and it's really too bad that this game didn't find an audience at the time because I think it's super fun. It should have been a bigger hit than it was. Yeah, I had a great time too playing this as as I said. It seems a shame because I think probably people took a look at it and couldn't figure out what was going on and and when you're in the arcade, well there are other games that I know how to play and I'll just move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And that sort of led to the rarity I guess today and to make things even worse, there's only one other way that you could play this and that was a an unofficial commodore 64 port called uh, i think it's crazy comets right yeah I, I i watched that online but i never actually played it because i wasn't a c64 guy there's a a write-up on it over at the c64-wiki.com um, which you can read about how that how that game came about and how they couldn't find a publisher for it so it's an unofficial thing but there's no rotation it plays the way i was first playing this game when i didn't know it had a spinner you basically only shoot up. So it's not really the same game. No, it's not. So given given the fact that these cabinets are extremely rare, and given the fact that this is not a game that's easily played uh, on a home setup if you don't have that spinner flight stick combo, this is a, a hard game probably for people to play now mm-hmm. and have a, have a good experience. It's really yeah. hard to play in MAME. I loved this game, but I struggled with it because of the, the controller setup. That's that's sort of unfortunate um, because this is definitely a cabinet that I would go out and buy if I if I had thousands of dollars in, Absolutely. in the space. This is the first game in a while where it it really struck me. This is a game I would I would absolutely add to my tiny little collection. It would fit snugly between the two ones I have right now. <laughs> this is a game I would not get bored of. I think it's really fun. I love the. I'd love the idea of playing it with a proper spinner and flight stick. That would be great. Yeah, this is this is a cabinet I would definitely want to own. So, Mike. Yes, Carrington. I read a thing online about this game, and I think it's crap. <laughs> Did we just okay. lose our, our clean tag? I said ass earlier, so. <laughs> I think it's ass crap. There, we've definitely lost our clean tag now. <laughs> so here's the thing. Because I'm I'm searching for info about this this game, like having to dig, dig deep into the internet to find to find stuff about this. I came across a mention in an article. The first time I saw it mentioned was in, I don't remember, some fellow wrote an article, and his name was Keith Smith. And he wrote an article, which I, I found a, a link online to it. And in the article, he talks about how, where, where does it say this? This was an interesting bit. He talks about how there's an issue, August 1983 edition of video games magazine oh, no sorry april 1983 edition of video games magazine there was an interview with the three designers from gottlieb so davis Thiel, and lee but they were credited as first initial and last name they were credited as designer <laughs> j walkman and r teasty t-e-e-s-t-e and that's because Gottlieb at the time was caught up in this whole big idea that if you put people's designers' names to games, they will be stolen away by competitors because the competitors will know, oh, he's a really good designer, so they will get stolen away, which I'm like, oh, okay. I don't think that this is true, and I don't think that article actually existed. I did, however, find a whole bunch of other sites that also talk about this, that the April 1983 edition or issue of Video Games Magazine had this article. Well, I have tracked down all the April 1983 editions of magazines 
that have anything to do with video games. There's actual video games magazine and computer and video games and a whole bunch of them. And I read the April editions. Then I went on archive.org and started searching because they've got tons of magazines on there. So I was searching for Mad Planet stuff, searching for Gottlieb things. Because of that, I found a really good, I did find a, an interesting sort of announcement about it in uh, Computer and Video Game Magazine, edition uh, number 22, from August 1983. And they describe the game, and they say, it's got good graphics and speedy action in which you can never let your finger stray far from the fire button. I don't know how many games you can let your finger stray far from the fire button, but whatever. Uh, it says, one tip, don't get caught in the corners. Seems like a strange tip. I don't think this person actually played this game. They also say it's got a Buck Rogers joystick. <laughs> does it now? Well, okay. Well. So anyway, I think what's happened is somebody mentioned this this thing, this whole that the, the three of them were interviewed and Gottlieb was really paranoid. So they changed the name, and I think it's just people quoting people who quoted it. But I can't find an original source, and I don't think I think it's totally apocryphal. I don't think that actually happened. So I'd love somebody to track it down and let me know because I'd, I'd be really interested in reading that article. But I don't think it exists, and I think all the people who quoted it are just quoting it because they read that it happened. So because everyone's using like almost the exact same words when they describe, they're just sort of taking somebody else's article and changing a couple of words and saying the same sentence. So I call shenanigans. The internet will say things, and I'll sometimes pause and think, I don't think that's true. <laughs> like, oh, internet, put some clothes on. So the default, I don't know, and maybe it's different for you, the default score. I don't know if you paid attention to what the default high score was. No. Um, but for me, it was 9,921, an odd default score, but that seemed to be the default high score. And a bunch of places online say that the default high score for this is an obvious pun on Wrath of Khan. But I don't see how 9921 is a Wrath of Khan pun. I can't get it. I can't get my head around it. Anyway, I can't figure it out. So if somebody knows what the heck that pun is supposed to be, write in and let me know because I cannot figure it out. Talking about the, the designer names thing, I think that that I know that at the time Atari stopped doing that. They stopped putting designers' names on there. And I don't think it was about having them uh, poached by other designers. I think they just didn't want to pay them as much, and they, they felt oh. that they, they didn't put their names on the titles, they didn't have to pay them as much. It's so funny how other games, like if you look at retro computing at around this time, because this game is, actually, I don't think we talked about it. When did this game actually come out? 1983. So 1983, so it's a little early. So within a couple, in fact, around this time, you'd start to get the the big gatefold Electronic Arts was doing that, where you'd have the f the fold open computer right, things, yeah, and inside would be wasteland. The first thing, inside would be a big photo of the game makers, like almost like an album cover. So they were going the total opposite way. I remember getting a game maker for the Apple II. It wasn't game maker; it was Gary Kitchen's game maker. Right. Like so, it was like you know they were promoting the names. They went the exact opposite way with computers. Well, my memory is probably a little sketchy on this, but I seem to recall that there There's were a lot about you that's sketchy. Well, of course, yes, but we don't <laughs> we don't talk about dude. we don't talk about that on the on, <laughs> on the show. Anyway, I remember that there were some game companies at the time who actually went out of their way to promote the fact that they were promoting their designers and including their names because of the way Atari treated their programmers. Right. And while I know that having programmers' names on or removed from a game was a thing at the time, I don't think there was anything to the story that you were telling, Carrington, because I did sort of the same research and came up with the same thing that I can't find a, a, a true original source on, right. on this information. Certainly now, can't find this magazine that supposedly it was in. Now, of course, everybody's going to point us to, look, there's a scan right here. You should have seen this. So <laughs> Good. I want to read it. I'd be fine I'm, with that, too. I'm hoping they put it. So it looks like this game was actually designed and programmed by Ken Yabumota. Yabumota. Um, but I don't. I couldn't find anything else that he did. So it seems strange that he would be a one-hit wonder because this game is really polished and really good. I did find a site online, for instance, that said he went on to form Muse Software after this. I'm like, no, he didn't. Muse Software was around since the 70s. He did not go, <laughs> go after this game to few. And it's, I think he was part of Muse Software. The internet basically just lies about this game completely. Everything about this game online is a lie. Now, do you know who did the sound for it, though? I think it was this David Thiel guy. But I think he should be mentioned by name because I think the music and the sound is excellent. Really, really good. It's fun to listen to, and I didn't find myself getting annoyed by it. I didn't have to crank up the arcade ambience or anything like that. So, yeah, the whole thing to me, once you figure out what's going on, 
Uh, was a lot of fun. Like I said, I, I would have had, of course, a better time and probably survived longer if I'd figured out how to play this game because I don't, you know, <laughs> because I don't have the spinner or the stick. Now, Carrington, you were telling me offline that you have a technique that didn't score you any more points, but you think works. I think it scored me some more points. I just didn't <laughs> want to tell you ahead of time that it was oh, getting see. me more points because I'm competitive. So I played this the way I normally play, you know, hands on keyboard because I've got no front end on my main thing working still. <laughs> so it's me and DOS and we're playing games. And then I try with because uh, I don't have a spinner, so then I tried with my trackball. That doesn't work at all. <laughs> and so you basically have to have like the one hands rotating fire. Like I just I needed more fingers. I need, like do I put an elbow in there? <laughs> so I found that the way you want to work with this is use a handheld controller. So I used an Xbox controller because if you get shoulder buttons, you now have an easy way to do your rotating. So I was using the thumbstick to move around, shoulder buttons for rotating, and now I've got my thumb for firing. And that's a really good setup. So if you approach this like a more modern system and use a PlayStation or like something with shoulder buttons, so PlayStation or Xbox controller seems to be the good approach here. And that gives you all you need to be able to actually move around. I wish the rotation was faster because you can't rotate as quick as you can with a spinner. This needs to rotate much faster. But at least now I had dedicated buttons. I could rotate. I could move. And so it did improve my game quite a bit. And Carrington, how much did it improve your game? Not enough. I got I scored an embarrassing 14,461 Oddly, my score ends in one. It still strikes me as odd that you so can get a mine. score ends in one. Yeah, Your so score was mine. also 14, 14. <laughs> Exactly the same. It did end in a one, but uh, apparently I did not need the Xbox controller this time to beat you. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I was I was doing bad at this. I got 23,441 <sighs> points. Wow, you trounced me. That's yeah, that's really good. I, I did. And, and <laughs> Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Well, I did have the advantage. Let's play Gallagher again. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> speaking to you. At least not until I not speaking to me is not gonna make for a good podcast. Well I figured out I already figured out how you how you got that score. And, did you? So I did. Through force of will and well, no, because the first time I awesomeness. played on that cabinet with you, I, I got over eighty five thousand and, and Oh let oh no, let, yeah, let's let's talk about us oh, playing oh, on that oh, cabinet, please, let's, mister. Let's talk about those two games. The the audience should know. So after we record, Mike and I go back to play again on that cabinet that we had. We should have played over at Alamo Draft House to come to the go. They had they had a cabaret one there. But anyway, so we're down playing on this game. Part of our trash talking from our last episode was from 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 those games. First up, first game, he wipes the floor with me. He gets like eighty five thousand on this first man. I did something like fifteen thousand, I think, for my whole game. It was terrible. Second time we play, though, I'm doing excellent. He's beaten me again, way way ahead of me. I'm doing terrible, but then I start to catch up. Mike's dead. He's got like eighty five thousand, and I'm doing well. I got seventy. I got eighty. I got eighty two. And then what happens, Mike? You yank out the power cord. I don't know what you're talking about, Kirsten. <laughs> I I think that you discovered a, a, a heretofore unknown kill screen in Galvia. A kill screen of complete blackness and lack of power. Yeah, yeah, listeners. He actually yanks out the power I cord. I didn't know such thing. You can't prove it. <laughs> I, I think we got it on video. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, think I, maybe I, I think I can prove it. So anyway, it was quite hilarious. Because I, I stood there in shock for a second thinking, what what did I do? <laughs> I don't understand. Here's the thing about that cabinet. <laughs> the dip settings were set so that you got an extra man every 20,000 or something like that. Something, Yeah, you got it really quick. Yeah, it, so it was a set of it, super it was easy, easy to get really high up on that cabinet. And that's how you beat me, Karen, too. Yeah, but I was, we both I played playing, on the same cabinet. No, I play. I was playing my, my score that I submitted. Was was on a, a ROM. Well, that was foolish, wasn't it? Uh, apparently it was, yes. <laughs> so there I it is, won. ladies and gentlemen, the, the evidence of Carrington cheating once again. Uh, yeah, I'm the cheater. You're the one who yanks the power out when I'm getting I told it. you I, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> you about. You have no memory of that? Okay. Uh, it's a kill screen. That's all it is. I, I see. I see how that works. That's nice. You should be taking credit for this. Get out there on the boards and tell everyone that you I found, found a kill screen. Yeah, yeah, the, the Mike McGinnis kill screen. <laughs> Only works when you're the second player. Uh, I really wish that we lived closer because I I really had a great time playing face to face with you. That it was, was actually yeah, fun. it was it was super fun. Yeah, that was the the trash talk, the play, the whole thing. That that was fantastic. So you beat me this week, Mike. You beat, but you won't beat me next week. Well, that's okay. Neither of us beat the the world record holder. Oh no. Yeah, we didn't even get close. <laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> when do we ever get close? It's, our scores are embarrassing compared to record scores. Jeff Bowden, or I'm sorry, Gene. Bowden, Bowden, B-A-U-D-I-N. <laughs> Either Jeff or Gene. 
holds the official record for this game of 507,710 points set on August 12th, 2001. I think that's doable. Not even a million points, only 500,000, please. No problem. If I had a spinner... Oh, that's what I was going to say. My, I, I think I did better with than you because my X-Arcade is modified. It does have a spinner. Oh. I, do, I don't have a flight stick. to. So, so how did a, you press the buttons? I was finding that really difficult to well, play. They, okay, so uh, maybe I'll post a picture of this. The layout of my X-Arcade is such the spinner is close to the fire button. And in this game, at least the ROM that I was playing, it auto fires if you just oh, hold the if you just cool. hold the, the shoot button down. So I sort of did this two fingers on the button, another two on the spinner, an elbow over here kind of a thing. <laughs> right. Um and held on long enough to to get that score. When we were over at Alamo Draft House, which again, so fun playing the arcade games there, the cocktail Galaga they had, I couldn't resist popping some virtual quarters into that one. Of course. Um, it had auto-fire set up. You could just press and hold down the fire button, and it would auto-fire. Oh. I didn't I even know was... that was a thing. I didn't know Galaga had a dip switch that enabled auto-fire. I was not aware of that. Yeah. I knew about the fast fire, but that's not a, that's not a whole No, this was just thing. normal fire. And wow. now it's not necessarily a good thing, because you've got to be judicious about when you shoot. Well, sure. Um, but I did find when something was dive-bombing at me, I would just press and hold to get that second shot off as fast as possible. So it was helpful in certain occasions. So anyway, I didn't know that that was an option for some Galaga, because this was a, a vintage, real uh, Galaga cabaret size one, versus the one we were playing over at Rockhurst was that 20th anniversary thingy. More evidence of keratin cheating, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Cheat to win, baby. Oh, I had an interesting story about the... I'm interested in interesting stories. <laughs> yes, I know. About the arcade at the draft house. So right? you guys went in to see Pacific Rim. Did you not? I did not go see that movie. Oh, no. you just came to hang out with us? Well, there's a whole big dramatic story behind that that's really unimportant. Will there be dramatic place. music underlying it when you tell us a story and then there was a lizard? I'm not telling that story. So at any rate, it's getting to be, it was after midnight because you guys went to what, the 1010 showing? Something, something like that, yeah. Yeah. And I'm playing away Donkey Kong and I've got the highest score that I've ever had before and the power cuts out. I snuck out. And introduce you to that little Mike McGinnis kill screen. <laughs> yeah, another kill screen. Snuck back in. Well, I turn around and, and the guy that, that was working at the draft house at the time didn't see me sitting there and, and hit the power on that section of the game. Oh. They all powered off. I'm like, no. <laughs> so I, I got to taste a little bit of, of your pain. That was revenge. Pain, and I was glad that I inflicted it upon you because it felt pretty good. <laughs> It was actually really funny. I was killing myself <laughs> laughing when you did that. It's kind of thing because I, I, I would have done it. So well, yeah, well, I, I sort of worried after that. I'm like, I hope you didn't, because I have some friends that would have been like genuinely angry at me and throwing nah, stuff and not. Dude, not it was hilarious. I thought it was so funny. So, Carrington, I assume that next week's game will have better, well, <clears throat> more accessible controls. That I'm hoping next week's game is just a button. Next week's game would be whack-a-mole, which is right. like one thing. But I wonder what it sounds like. How could we find out? I think we could listen to what's about to happen right now. Ooh. Well, I think that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the No Quarter Show. Oh, Harrington? yes, it does. And I'm pulling the plug. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for podcasting with me. Absolutely. Uh, a blast as always. And um, I'm really I'm really happy I got sort of basically introduced to this game this week because this yeah. has become a new favorite. And I, and I can't wait to head to someplace with an app. Like, this is a reason to go to um, FunSpot because I bet you they have one and I want to play this on a real cap. Well, I checked the arcades around here and they certainly don't. And like you uh. said, it's it's such a rare title. But, but next week's title isn't that rare, I promise. Hooray. Huzzah. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain. Thank <laughs> you.